available um, online. And every Monday at midnight, if you fancy it, a new blog goes up. And not because I'm awake at midnight, but because a computer puts it there at midnight and you can read notes from the previous past few weeks. Angela Kem was with us last week and uh, Angela said this, are you willing for God to use you in a whole new way? And for those of you who were here last week, there was a, a big group of us just being commissioned by God and saying yes to God, we want you to use us in a whole new way. We're believing you, God, that we've got grace and authority and anointing to do things in a whole new way. And what I want to do this morning is just unpack that a bit more and put some legs on it and say, actually, how do we walk in it? Because there are moments where God breaks something open in terms of our calling and authority. But if you're anything like me, I want to know, okay, what do I do then? What's my response then? What's my part in all of that? So I'm going to read some fantastic verses to you from Ephesians chapter 2. I was listening to a man preach the other day, um, actually Eric Johnson from, from the Bethel Church, and he said, if someone was going to steal my Bible and they said you could take one chapter out of the Bible and keep it, he said, I would, I would ask for Ephesians 2. He said, if they're going to take the whole book and just give me one chapter, leave me with Ephesians 2. I found that so intriguing. I thought, I'm going to spend a week in Ephesians 2 and dig into this chapter and discover afresh the jewels and the glorious things that are in it. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, and this is key verses in how to walk into God's anointing in a whole new way. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this, this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. <coughs> to be willing to walk in what God has for us in a whole new way, we have to understand that we are not on planet Earth by accident. Paul, when he goes to the, 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 the people in Athens, says you are where you are, you're located where you are, you were born to the family you were born in, you were born to the nation you were born in, you're now in Athens because God has placed you here and God has placed you here for purpose. You are pre-known by God and he's prepared good works in advance for you to do and the Message Bible says, so you better be getting on with it. 
I love that. Because if I said it, it would sound harsh. Better be getting on with it. But if a translation of the Bible says it, you better be getting on with it. Okay? You have got things to be doing that God has got ready for you by grace. You are wonderfully, wonderfully created by God for specific works to be getting on with in this world to bring glory to Jesus. There are works for us in our families. There are works for us in our workplace. There are works for us in the local church. There are kingdom works for us to be doing in the community that we're part of. You are God's unique poetic expression. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Before the foundation of the earth, he knew you, he wanted you, he loved you, and in time and space, he called you out of darkness and he spoke a resurrection word over your heart that made you alive in Christ and then seated you in the place of heavenly place, in the help of heavenly realms. And then in that place of grace, he says, I've got some work for us to do together. I've got some things that you are uniquely created for to be doing with me together. I want to do this with you together. I've created works for you to do, not because I'm a slave driver who's slightly lazy and just needs an army to get on with a job. God could do the whole thing, good works, in a word. He created the heavens and the earth just by speaking. But he loves the relationship he has with us and he loves it when he brings us into a place of co-labouring with God. And so God has entrusted gifting, calling and talent to everyone here. I just want to say, if you don't know God, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know the Father, you can be resurrected to a brand new life today. You can leave this place as a new creation today. You can leave here not having happened just to sing a few songs and hear a few nice words. You can have a new heart, a new nature, a fresh beginning and add it to a new community. He can raise you from the dead. Christianity is not just a, a bunch of people who've got some new habits and some newer priorities. They're a resurrection people. There are two people on the planet at the moment. The resurrected in Christ and the ones who are being invited. Come in, come in, come in, come in. You can be resurrected. You can come and know the love and the goodness and the awesomeness of God. And then in this place of resurrection and new life and being seated in Christ in heavenly places, you can't get much nearer than that, can you? Tim said that this morning. There's no such thing as I feel far from God. (laughs) How near? You're in the throne room. You're in Christ. You're in Christ. He's done, a, he's done something about your sin. He's done something about your rebellion. He's done something about everything that could have ever separated you has been dealt with through the cross so that you can come home and constantly be living in the wonderful reality you're in Christ. And so he gives this gift, this talent, this calling so that the life he places into us might flow into other, pla- other people around us. It says in the Old Testament that Abraham was blessed that he might become a blessing. You're a blessing. The life of God, the call of God, the grace of God 
has come and flown into your life, you're a blessing. When you walk in your family, blessings just walked in. When you walk in the office, blessings just walked in. When you go in the supermarket, blessings just walked in. When you walk along the street, blessing can come out of you and flow into other people. How it starts, we start believing. We start believing. We're a blessing. We're a blessing. We're a blessing to our family, to our workplace, to our community. We're a blessing. Christians are a blessing to the world. We're light and we're salt that brings flavour to the world. (coughs) Who you are in Christ, you have in Christ resources and capacity and gifting to nourish people and to feed people and to bless people and to strengthen people and to call people out of darkness to raise people up not just by the moments we might share our story about how we came to know Jesus not just in the moments where we might offer to pray for the sick not just in the moments where we might dare to prophesy something over somebody you don't necessarily, when, we, when we bring prophetic stuff over people in the workplace we don't actually necessarily have to say God just told me we can actually begin to say actually I, I'm going to speak about what I see in you and call out the gold in them we don't have to make it weird we can just speak in the office at prophet in the office of spirit to what we see and start to speak that over them. You know, someone might be in the office and they might be suffering from rejection. You don't necessarily say God sees your rejection, but you can start to call them out and say, Actually, I see this about you. Look for the gold. Actually, people want to be with you because you've got a passion for cooking. Do you see how people light up when you start to talk about hospitality or something else? So it's the way we live, the way we carry ourselves. It's the way we uh, speak. It's the way we work. That's salt and light. That's the grace he's put. The good works are, I'm doing my work really, really well. I'm bringing excellence to the workplace. That's a good work. Listen, it's not that the jobs we do get validated the moment we bring Jesus into them. Yeah? It's not the moment we got a chance to pray for the sick or prophesy or share our story about how we came to know Jesus. Then we say, yeah, my job is now valid. My job is a good work. Doing your job excellently with real heart for the people you're serving or looking after or that's, that's doing a good work. That's some of the good work that's prepared in advance. Wanting to do it excellently. Asking God for innovation where you are. Praying for some of you guys who work in the computing industry and IT. Praying for God to give you new solutions and ideas to problems. Asking God to give you innovation and breakthrough. And ways in which your company can be more profitable and do better business. That's doing good works. Coming to God and saying, there's a problem in this. There's something not quite working in the school I teach at. There's something not quite working in the environment I'm in. And then bringing the kingdom in, in the most natural, ordinary way. 
like the guy who worked for NASA. And he, they, he didn't, they couldn't get this particular aspect of the shuttle to work. And he has a dream in which he sees the components and he sees the parts. And he builds it. And it works. Like the couple who are in South America. Are we a little bit cold in here? Are you alright? We can't put the heating on. Just wave if you're cold. Like the couple in South America whose goal was to do, to produce excellently amazing furniture. But the only chemical they could find for stripping the wood was detrimental to the environment. But they didn't want to dial down excellency by using a different product because the product would have gone down in quality. And so they needed a product that didn't exist. And one day, I'm not sure if it was a dream or a load of thoughts, but the wife says to the husband, I've got all this, these, these letters and numbers and stuff. They take that to the lab, put it together, and it's a God-given chemical that's environmentally non-impactful that allows them to do their job with excellence without losing any quality. Something that didn't exist existed because God gave it. One man, his dream was to create a new crossbow. He loved hunting. And he thought, I'd love to have an idea of how I can improve the crossbow. The design hasn't changed for centuries. There's got to be some innovation there. He's laying in bed. God gives him, I don't know if it's an open vision or a vision in his head. He sees a crossbow. He draws the crossbow. And it's, God's actually given him an innovation of a new standard of crossbow that then has made him a fortune, which he can pour into the kingdom and bless and do all the things with. But it was an idea that didn't exist that God gave. Another man said he was in his business and he wanted a new tracking system for um, an inventory system, an accounting system for selling parts of cars. And he wanted to be able to track how many he had in stock and how, how much he needed to order and who was ordering. But he couldn't afford to buy the package. One day in the middle of the night he wakes up and he's got lots of digits and numbers. Turns out that's a program for a system that he gave to someone, and then he got the system out of nowhere. We've got to come to... God's a very practical God. So the good works he's prepared in advance for us to do are not just about what goes on in a local church. It's about us doing our job of excellency and expectancy. He can speak to you. He can give solutions. He can give ideas. He can give innovations. You might be thinking, but that's not me. It's a nice story from South America. That's a nice story about some other person, but that's not me. Abraham was given an impossible promise by God that he would be fruitful. But when he looked at his own body, he was almost 100 years old. And when he looked at Sarah's womb, the womb was dead. 
against hope, in hope, he believed. Because he reckoned on a couple of things. If you look in Romans 4, he reckoned on one thing, promises come by faith, are are inherited by faith, not by works. And it says in verse 17 of Romans 4, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. It says in verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Listen, we can look at ourselves and face the fact and say, I haven't had a fresh idea for a long time. (laughs) Or we can face the fact that we feel shy in the workplace. Or we can face the fact that we feel so overwhelmed. (laughs) It's a great ringtone. (laughs) And we can look at our lives and look at the areas where we feel there's dead areas. We can look at our workplace and say... It really wouldn't matter if I spoke about all the gold in this place. It's as rotten as anything. It's dead. I think we heard from Patricia last week of actually asked how she felt about sky and things are beginning to change. So you might look at your workplace and think, one person can't influence this. One person can't influence a family. One person can't influence a local church. One church or a number of churches can't influence a whole community. But actually, Abraham, without weakening in his faith, faced the facts. It's okay to face the facts. You don't have to be in denial, okay? He knew his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet, he did not waver through faith, through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. I just want to say, you, believer, you are qualified by God to do impossible things. You are. From an unbelieving family, where the culture might be drinking and swearing, and you're the only believer, and everybody is into gossip, and there's negativity and hopelessness all around... And you felt, I just come in that and go right in it and I just, I just adjust with what's going on. Actually, God says, no, no, you are a family changer. You're a family changer. Part of your good works is to bring the atmosphere of heaven into your family and change that with hope and peace and rest. You might say, but it's dead. Well, there's no life there. Well, welcome to the world of Abraham. You need a dead area to have a resurrection. Yeah, yeah. yeah you need it to be dead for there to be a resurrection. Because yeah. it needs to be impossible to call on God. God might have whispered over you and said big things and big calling and big impact. And you look at yourself and say, that's not me. I'm timid. I'm weak. I can't. This is impossible. Or you say with Joel, let the weak say I'm strong. You begin to agree with God. Not a denial of the facts, but a recognition of who God is and what God has said. Might be, you think, 
I can't hear God for innovation. Actually, my workplace could do with innovation and ideas. You say, no, I'm a child of God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And I'm resurrected and I'm not dead. I'm spiritually alive in Christ. I'm seated with him in heavenly places. You are equipped and qualified by him to invade the impossible. We're all on a journey of becoming fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he has promised. That's our journey. We're on a journey of being persuaded. We're on a journey of being convinced that Jesus Christ is really who he says he is. And it's going to impact the world around me and my heart and my life and the environment I live in. And as we're becoming fully convinced, we begin to see resurrection. And we begin to see transformation. The next thing I want to talk about then is, once we're fully convinced that we've got grace and calling by God, the next thing is, is this, the promise, the gifting and calling must not become where I get my identity from. Because that's the other thing, we can get a sense of, yeah, I know who I am, I'm I'm a world changer, I'm an atmosphere changer, I'm a bringer of hope, I'm a bringer of rest. And then the danger is you suddenly begin to get your identity from that, from the things that you do. The promise of God mustn't become what you recognise as you. Always staying firm in the reality that your identity is one who is a beloved son or a beloved daughter, who has access to the Father and intimacy with the Father, that what we get to do, what we get to co-labour with God in, is not where we get our identity from. My identity is, I'm a cherished, loved, beloved son or daughter, completely washed clean through the finished work of Jesus. And I get to do some stuff with God. And I get to walk with God. Because that releases you to new levels of risk and confidence like you've never known before. Because some of the reasons we don't take risk in God to release the gifting and calling that he's placed in us is because we feel, what will I feel like if I fail? What will I feel like if I get rejected? What will I feel like if this doesn't work? But if you know your primary identity is already secure in the beloved, then you can take risk and learn to step out. Because you're not going to be devastated when people don't respond in the way that maybe you hoped they would. We're on this journey of realising who we are and realising what he calls us. And not getting her identity. And finally, when we know who we are called to be and what we're called to bring, we're called to hold on to that lightly. Sonship leads to resting and trusting and giving him permission to walk out, work out gifting and calling according to his wisdom and according to his method. Hold on to it lightly. So it doesn't become your identity. It doesn't become what you recognise as you. Because it's very easy that something that's a good thing, when it becomes the ultimate thing that I get my identity from, can turn around and bite us. So it's great to do an excellent job at work. It's great to have ambition for promotion and to grow 
and to fulfil calling that God has for you. But when promotion becomes where you get your identity from, it can turn around and bite you because it's not a very, very good saviour. But when you hold on to it lightly, saying, God, I know you've called me to have an impact here, maybe in my work or in my family or in the local church. I know you put things in me, but I'm going to hold on to that really lightly and allow you and your wisdom to orchestrate things according to your timing and your method and your wisdom. I'm not going to get my identity from that. I'm not going to get disappointed and frustrated because you didn't work it out the way I thought I wanted you to work it out. It's a great quote. From the promise to the palace is a process. From the promise to the palace is a process. How many of you know that God said to you, Things in your workplace, you know, that, or things at college, or things where you go and spend most of your life. How many of you kind of walk and know, I, I know there are things for me in this environment. We need to see, we, we need to see more, <laughs> more fully convinced people. <laughs> and from the promise to the palace, there's this process that God takes us on as he prepares and equips and establishes and anoints and grows us. Heard a story about a man who bought a 1922 super power boat made of teak wood, a beautiful, beautiful boat worth thousands and thousands of pounds. And he wanted to go and test it out on the river and he strapped onto it two huge 1200 Suzuki engines. And then he said to his son, crank it up, let's see what this baby can do. I just added those, but I'm sure he didn't really say that, but I felt like I was in some kind of movie then. But see what this thing can do. And they pulled both of them, and the boat exploded into splinters of wood all over the place. Because the power was too big for the strength of the boat. And God's on a journey where he's saying, I want to answer your prayers. I want to answer the prophetic calling I've given you. I want to, because I put it there in the first place. You didn't come up with it. But I've got to make sure that when I strap a couple of heaven's engines on here, that I don't blow you up. So I've got to equip you so that I can answer the prayer that you're asking to the promise that I gave. So from the palace to the fulfilment of the promise, from, from the promise to the palace, there's a process that God is doing in our lives. And if you don't know what the promise is, maybe in the local church, or begin to serve. Serving gives you momentum. <laughs> Getting stuck in on, on anything gives your life momentum. I said it many times, my first job was 67 black currants for the crush on a Sunday morning. That was my whole ministry, was that the children had a drink. And as a student, it meant getting there just after nine o'clock, which was the biggest sacrifice of all. But serving gives your life momentum. Serving gives your life momentum. Another decision in 1993 was this. God, I will always say yes to what leadership invites me to have a go at. Even if I don't believe I'm gifted or calling, I will have a go. I will step in and serve. 
Because if we get to be in control of our dreams, ideas and thoughts, they just remain tiny. Because in the end, they just remain the things that we can do without God. If we get to be in control of what happens and what we do, they just remain really, really human. But if we yield and surrender and say to God, you get to be God in my life. You get to work it out any way you want. You get to make this happen any way you want. You get to do it, God. Whatever way it works out in the workplace, in my family, in the local church, in this community, you get to do it at your pace, God, and any way you want. And we'll celebrate every step with you as a yielded human being, believing we've got purpose on this planet. But you work it out, God, the way you want. Because your wildest dreams for yourself, for your family, for your workplace, for this community, come nowhere near, anywhere near what God's planning for this, for this world. They're, they're, they're greatly bigger than our greatest ideas. And then we understand as well that God, all we're called to be is faithful, faithful in our community, in our generation. So that we can pass the baton on to other generations to run with us, so that they can inherit along with us and take it further. Because you see that throughout the whole Old Testament, it was Abraham was promised all the nations. He didn't get all the nations in his lifetime because it took the seed, Christ, to inherit the nations so that Abraham actually does inherit all the nations. But it was multiple generations. And so we're faithful in our generation with our assignment from God, in our families, in our church, in our workplace, faithfully obeying God and saying, we're believing for Plumstead, Woolwich, Thamesmead, this area to be transformed over generations. And we're going to play our part right now in bringing the kingdom, royal, royal kingdom of God into this location right now. And then we're believing other generations will take it further and further. And the Alan Ward who comes here said he saw a picture of an oak tree in the middle of this building. Sheltering, bringing strength. Who knows where we are in the story? Maybe we're the acorn. Maybe we're the sapling. Maybe we're bigger. All I know is, it's going to be over generations. It's going to be over generations. Because our wildest dreams come where nowhere near to what God is planning and doing. And I want to press into more and more and more. So that, you hear stories on Plumstead High Street of the sick being healed. Wheel, people coming out of wheelchairs in Woolwich. People being healed of cancer in this building increasingly. Sicknesses bowing to Jesus. That out of us, innovation in the workplace. Out of us, person after person after person bringing excellency wherever they go so that the employer says I don't know what it is about Christians but I want more of them <laughs> being thankful I tell you I'm thankful for the prayers that God didn't answer in my life I'm thankful for a God of wisdom 
who didn't answer everything according to my plan, my design, my timing, my ideas, but a God who, according to his wisdom, answered according to his love, according to his insight, according to a God who's omniscient and knowing all things. It's going to read you a It's going to read you a psalm. Come by us to stand. It's going to read this over us and from the message, uh, it's not the message Bible, it's the Passion Translation of Psalm 37. I just want to say it as a, almost a, a, the heart of God to you and commissioning you. It says, keep, keep trusting in the Lord and do what is right in his eyes. I just felt that in the worship this morning, I felt I could see, I think Tim touched on it as well, this whole commissioning of Jesus Christ, of when he came up to the people and he said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. There was, a, there was a sense of a commissioning moment this morning from the Lord. Keep trusting in the Lord and do what is right. Fix your heart on the promises of God and you will be secure. Just what has God spoken over your life? What has he said over you? What were the scriptures that just jumped out? What were the things he's spoken to you over all your life? God says, fix your eyes on the promises. Fix your eyes on the things he's spoken over you. And fix them and feast on his faithfulness. He's never going to let you down. If you make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life, every longing within you will be fulfilled. If you make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life, almost make that decision in your heart this morning. I choose. I choose to feast on God. I choose to have Jesus Christ as my utmost delight and pleasure of my life. I choose to delight in him. I choose to believe the promises of God of how he sees me and how he views me and how he's made me in himself. I choose to believe that God, my identity is not in what I do, but in who you call me and what you've called me in you as your son and I'm deeply loved. If you make God the utmost light and pleasure of your life, every longing within you will be fulfilled. Listen then finally, give God the right to direct your life. And as you trust in him along the way, you'll find he pulled it off perfectly. Give God the right to direct your life. Even in this moment, give God the right to direct your life. If he calls you something, he's got the right to call you. Sometimes we think of Christianity as, what can't you do? Well, let's turn that over and say, Christianity is a huge commission to a huge adventure with God. Let him direct your thoughts. Let him direct your life. Let him tell you what to stop and what to start. Can I ask you something? See, I just want to. I want to.